are listening to Soundbite, the podcast that's food for your ears. I'm Celine Roberts. Today, we're talking to Heather Irvine, an herbalist with two clinical practices, one in Vermont and one forthcoming in Boston. She was recently in town attending the American Herbalist Guild Conference, where she spoke about Appalachian herbs. Originally from Northeastern Ohio, her connection with plants from Appalachia remains a strong part of her practice today. I had her into the studio to talk shop about medicinal plants in our area. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and excited to be in the area. I have traveled from Vermont, but I'm actually from this area, which is part of why I spoke at our recent professional gathering about Appalachian herbs, which are some plants that I miss being someone living further north right now. Uh, My experience as an herbalist is about a 15-year length experience, uh, starting with the Northeast School of Botanical Medicine in Ithaca, New York, um, followed by some self-study and the Vermont Center for Integrative Herbalism in Montpelier, Vermont. I know that you have a clinical practice in both Vermont and Boston. The Boston is a little bit more up and coming. I'm I'm moving there in November, but I'll be still pretty involved in the herbal community in Vermont as an instructor in the school that I mentioned, the Vermont Center for Integrative Herbalism. And in Burlington, I have a small clinical practice. I call myself a health educator. Hearing people's health concerns and trying to make health suggestions or even present some herbal options that may be helpful for their specific concerns that, you know, maybe aren't being addressed in other ways or that can just help improve their their general health. How would you define herbalism or being an herbalist? Well, there are so many different ways of being an herbalist. Any Just about any herbalist will tell you that there are as many ways as there are herbalists. I often think of Rosemary Gladstar's statement that there's one thing that herbalists can agree on, and that's not to use aluminum cookware, which is just kind of like a flippant statement that, you know, there's very little that every herbalist agrees on. So there are some who use sort of more, or identify with more of an intuitive model or folk model, and I'm considering those actually two separate things. Uh, there are some who who identify with a more kind of scientific form of herbalism. I'm what I call a Western herbalist, so... A Western herbalist has um, usually some training from other herbalists that combines philosophies of Eastern traditions like Ayurveda and maybe traditional Chinese medicine, um, as well as current medical knowledge and draws in a lot of the herbs that we have on this continent, as well as really any tools that we have globally uh, in botanicals and nutrition. So lots of different ways of doing it, even as a Western herbalist. With this class that you taught, you're addressing specifically Appalachian or Appalachian herbal remedies. What does the plant landscape look like in Western Pennsylvania and Northeastern Ohio for medicinal plants? Well, in, West, in both of these, you know, in this whole region, and I'd say extending south to Southern Ohio, Not exclusively Southern Ohio, but that's another place I visited where I did a lot of my very quick but rich learning about the medicinal qualities of some plants that we have in both places. Um, You know, it's, it's a place where 
there's so many botanical treasures and so many things, um, a number of plants that are quite common in this region, as well as some that are historically common, but have, you know, have experienced harvesting pressure, um, particularly from a time when plants were more recognized as useful, wild plants, um, you know, as well as some of the tree diseases and development, um, and some would even argue climate change. So, you know, some of the plants that I talked about recently were some of the great sort of forest trees and shrubs, um, things like slippery elm um, and elderberry, even sassafras, pokeweed. Some of these things, if you live in this region, especially the latter two, you probably think are kind of common weeds. But I just, you know, I like to keep in people's minds the traditional uses and to not take these for granted. Slippery elm is one of my favorites. Um, slippery elm, so to get to the uses, slippery elm has a really long traditional use um, for things like sore throats and speaking, a uh, favorite herb of singers. It's got other uses as well um, as a nutritional um, with really, you know, really rich in starches, some nutritional and some sort of more therapeutic. It's actually one of the very few North American plants that became recognized as an actual medicine. The difference, I think, was really just one family in Massachusetts who kind of pushed for a couple of their remedies um, to be patented and to be recognized, you know, as active ingredients. But basically, it, it's a very safe herb to use. It's, it's one that is nice to talk about because someone could hardly do harm with this plant, but it's familiar as sort of like a throat lozenge, as a topical preparation for burns. So most people are familiar with how you might use aloe. Slippery elm, you can use the same way topically. It makes this really impressive gel with just a little bit of water. Um, and the use would be powdering the bark or taking some shavings of the bark. Uh, one thing I should say is it's a somewhat rarer plant due to the elm bark disease, the Dutch elm bark disease, which is also affected by, and, you know, further back harvesting. So it's one we reserved for the times we really need it, but it is one of those sort of classic old-timey treasures that's still very useful to us. Let's talk a little bit more about the plants specific to Appalachia, and maybe you could share some of your favorite remedies mm -hmm. that you've made. I know that you said you have a collection of 300 or more tinctures. Yeah, it's a little bit crazy. <laughs> Can you pick out some medicines that might broadly apply that are made from plants in this area? Yeah, definitely. There are there are so many, but I think I'll try to focus on a few. Um, one that is not exclusive to this region but occurs in this region is elderberry and a few nice things about it it's also considered an edible even if you're not don't have a lot of access to woods you can find elderberry remedies one of the more common remedies for health food stores or even some grocery stores and things of that nature i will say there are some things in the wild that could be mistaken for elderberry and I actually personally, as a new herbalist, even made that mistake. But elderberry is a, can be a nice cough or cold or flu remedy. Um, it's, there is some science to back it. Um, the, there are compounds in elderberry, or a compound at least, that inhibits one of the, mechanism, the mechanism that a virus uses to duplicate. So that's pretty compelling, and the scientific community loves that. But also being a food, you know, fairly safe and gentle, agrees with kids, 
Um, it's also something we say, there's some research to suggest, and certainly we experience reducing like swelling of mucosal membranes. So basically, if you think of your stuffy head when you have a cold or your achy, sore throat um, can have some applications there, as well as for allergies. But it's super friendly for kids. Um, you know, syrups are something they can find hundreds of recipes for making syrups or kind of design your own or start with um, a syrup someone else has made. But, you know, in Vermont, I find like probably 90% of the people know elderberry and are using it now. That's maybe only since the past five or 10 years, although really traditional remedy and pretty accessible. You grew up in the same region that I did, so Akron, Cuyahoga Falls area, and there happens to be a very large park or system of parks that I know about. Did any of that surrounding wilderness contribute to your specific interest in plants from this region in Appalachia? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think sometimes people not from this region don't realize how much access to nature there really is. Um, And I grew up spending so much time outdoors, either alone or with my family hiking, and lots of resources for youth, at least where I grew up, to learn you know, to learn a little bit about nature. So it certainly contributed heavily. I was kind of obsessed with medicine from an early age, but I got really an immersion in environmental sciences and natural history type topics. Um, So it made it kind of easy to jump into herbalism. But I'd say that kind of learning is approachable for anybody. You know, I meet people who are sometimes intimidated to whether they could be an herbalist because they don't think they have a green thumb or they don't know a lot of plants, but you just, you learn a couple things and you learn a little bit more and you know, you're not going to, you're not going to hurt anybody by going out and learning how to identify some plants, confidence, maybe using them for yourself. But also as an herbalist, like you don't have to harvest every single one of your own things. There are other resources. You know, there are people who are more rural or who are farming herbs exclusively but don't have a lot of access to people to use plants with. So they sort of ally with, I'm actually moving to a place with a little bit greater population to be able to work with more people. So it's nice to kind of like Do the kind of work that matches, you know, what your resources are, but don't be intimidated to learn to learn more of the the other aspects you might feel challenged by. This past conference in southern Pennsylvania, I would assume focused on plants in this area and called a lot on people from this area. Is that true? Yeah, well, we had a couple of themes. Our big theme, our sort of feel-good theme, was connecting to our roots. And so there were a number of talks on Appalachian plants. Um, And also, I think it gave an opportunity to some of the people from this region or maybe from a little further south to speak um, who might not be the rock stars of herbalism um, but are doing good work in this region. Um, So... Yeah, it was it was nice to. We were also in a very natural setting, which is just nice for herbalists um, to get out and, you know, maybe someone from the west coast or from the far north gets to see and taste plants that they typically only have in a jar. Is there anything that you learned that surprised you this time around? Like any new research that you found particularly mm. compelling? I was really impressed with the whole event. I've been going for close to 10 years, um, any year that I can. Um, 
one of our one of our themes for the more advanced talks was infectious disease and basically some botanical um, supports for you know in addition to standard medicine um, or when standard medicine might not be you know recognizing our person is sort of borderline showing the signs that would justify um, you know standard medical treatment. I was I was just really impressed with some of the new information, um, and I, I don't know that I am qualified, having gone to like a couple of talks to say more about it, but just, I will say there are a couple herbalists in the field, um, Paul Bergner and David Winston are some of the big names, and there are many others I'm missing, who, every time I hear them talk, I, I learn something new, and then, you know, try to apply it, and then maybe 10 years later, the general public or the medical community are telling us these, you know, things that I've learned at, at a medical, I mean, at an herbal conference, like five or 10 years earlier. Um, it's not that they're inventing the idea, but I think they're really, you know, something I'd like the public to know is there are herbalists who delve very deep into the the medical research and the new research who may actually be ahead of the curve of, you know, who else you might have access to talking to about your health. Thank you so much for coming in and talking with us today. Really appreciate it. I was really thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. For more Soundbite, visit our archives at www.pghcitypaper.com. Come along while I hunt for pawpaws or listen to the stories of two Haudenosaunee women who are working to preserve their indigenous cultural foods. Look for our next episode in two weeks, and until next time, go out and have yourself a food adventure.